Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We are here, episode 136, with Bryce. Hi, I'm so happy Hi. to be here. It's been a little while. It has been a little while. It's been a while. Great to have you back. Yeah. Good to give Jackie a break so she can work on other things. But this episode may be, uh, running joke, maybe a little shorter. <laughs> not feeling well. Never happens. I'm not going to drag out any of the conversation because uh, I don't want you to have to hear me sniffle. So mm. let's jump right in to story time. Oh, yeah. Bryce, you want to kick off since you uh, you haven't been here the longest? Sure. So we were actually talking about it a little bit earlier today, but with the window and or lumber and window prices and interest rates like on a rise, builders are starting to question how to start planning for the downturn. And it's inevitable at this point. So I was just thinking it's like very important for certain things such as content to stay on the front burner and make sure it's on your to-do list. Um, to make sure you obtain it because we want it once this crazy ride's all over, it's going to be totally worth it on the back end. Yeah. And it's not that it's going to happen imminently. It's, it's a little bit mm -hmm. like our stocks too high. Is there a bubble finance? Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not going to go higher for another six months before eventually it corrects itself. Oh, for sure. So it's, but, but to your point, uh, you were on a call and then maybe this is why at the top of mind, you were on a call yesterday with someone who had their content marketing budget slashed because of cost impacts on sales. The, the homes that they were selling were not likely to be as profitable as they wanted. And so the content bucket got the ax by the CEO. Mm -hmm. Poor content bucket. Oh man. I hope <laughs> I it was. I call because I was sick. And so my initial reaction was like, no, no, no. Do whatever. <laughs> like, say yes, sir. But then just take the money out of advertising or somewhere else right now. And, and keep, they allocate it. Yeah, keep that content flowing. Yeah, yeah. I th definitely seems like uh, new projects will probably be the first things to be like, well, we didn't have that a month ago or a week ago mm -hmm. or whatever initiative. So like mentally, that's the easiest one to get rid of when maybe it shouldn't be the easiest one to get rid of. Or exactly. just thinking, just talking through this, like if things, things are crazy right now, things are super, super busy. The first thing that if you are busy, that will drop is probably those new initiatives that you might see as optional right now, but then six, eight, 12, year and a half, two years from now, where you're like, oh, why didn't we do that? Stupid Change thing. of any kind and, and creating new momentum takes way more energy than people realize. And so it's really easy to go into maintenance mode all around whenever that happens. And I, again, my, my favorite example of this is uh, not, not in terms of change, but in terms of making decisions that aren't necessarily rational based upon sales success was Gus, the founder of Heartland. Great guy. Loved working with him. But whenever we would do really great pre-sale events, he'd be like, all right, cancel the entry monument. We don't, we don't need that anymore. What? I'm like, what do you mean? We don't need an entry <laughs> monument. Well, look, we just sold 20 homes in the first week. And it's 2010. No one's selling homes anywhere in the country. Obviously, we don't need entry monuments. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Oh, come on. Long term, like might long -term. still be oh, man. important from a brand perspective. Yeah, just keeping oh, those sure. things forward as well, like front forward on your mind. Exactly. Right. Andrew, what do you for got? Sure. 
What do I got? It's a common one. It's my it's my favorite Google topic, but I feel like it's rising to the top. And this is why it's my favorite Google topic. It's actually not my favorite. That's a little sarcasm in there. And I'll see if there's like a takeaway from this, but villas, townhomes, active Ooh. adult on Google is miserable and it's not fun and it's limited volume. So there's not that many people searching for it. And it's always going to be a struggle. And I think it's it's very difficult to let go or accept that like, oh, there's just isn't that there are not that many people searching villa or active adult or whatever keyword might fit that community more closely than new homes for sale. And then like the city that the community is in. And I just, I just have to say that I just had to get off my chest because it's (laughs) like, I think that's been, it's been a thing townhomes. Yeah. Since I don't, however long I've been working here at DYC, like, Oh, we have this project. I'm like, I bet it's townhomes. (laughs) It's starting up. It's townhomes. Or we have this project that it's villas. And it's sure enough, it's always like one of these combinations and just, it's, it's default, I think what it is challenging because we, as you mentioned, they're often trying to figure out how do we make this expensive piece of ground work? Well, if we slice it up into small enough mm-hmm. pieces, mm-hmm. or a lot line villas or townhomes, multifamily, then we can make it work or at least make it appear more affordable, but it's still going to be a challenge oftentimes. Mm-hmm. It is a challenge. Yep. And it just the, the challenge of like, you see your sing, quote, single family home keywords are just not really, I don't even say they're single family home keywords, but just non-product specific keywords to the area. So the new homes, Tampa, you see like a 2000 clicks per month on that. And then you put in villas, Tampa or townhomes, Tampa, and it's 200 clicks. You're like, really? There's only 10% of the searches or people are searching that. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's all there. That's all that's in there. So I feel like I, that kind of goes off of like understanding the difference between builder talk and consumer talk like oh, yeah. villas mm-hmm. is very often referred in the com- builder community but not as familiar when you're a prospect coming into the community especially in different parts of the country it, exactly oh, for sure. yeah I, I think the main the other main idea there to, to pull off more on andrew is you have to make a decision a strategic decision which is my favorite kind Strate- uh, because uh-huh. you could say, well, let's make the ad then target new homes, Tampa, and try mm-hmm. to communicate the trade-off in, in benefits that a townhome or a villa might provide. So we're going to try to manipulate, trick, coerce the typical new homes, Tampa search to want to click on our ad. And that is mm-hmm. a strategic decision you can make. It's just going to be really expensive. And the quality traffic you get mm-hmm. may end up having a higher bounce rate. And so you have to say, am I comfortable looking beyond? And I understand why everyone wants to go back to Google because search volume, organic search volume is off the charts. Oh, it's crazy. The opportunity is there. It's performing well for everyone. So why can't it fix this one problem I have? Mm-hmm. And so you either make that strategic choice to overpay and be okay with, with lower quality of traffic that results. Or you say, hey, even though I love this thing and it solves most of my other issues right now, I have to go look at social. Yes, old people or people looking for townhomes use social media. Or I, you know, I, you've got to come up with a different approach. You can't just keep. Well, how about that Google thing? It seems pretty popular. Yeah, that Google thing. <laughs> that Google thing. Yeah, it's just yeah. So maybe don't get sad if you look at a click volume and you're like, really, that's all I'm doing. I'm doing something wrong. You're, it's because it's an, it's an alternative decision. 
mm-hmm. again, back to your point, Bryce, the consumer journey is not necessarily that everyone's starting out saying, I would like to find a small home with no yard. Sometimes that's true, but they may not know to put in villa. Exactly. Or they want it with something else that's awesome. Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is townhome, but it's because of XYZ. And if that's not there, then it truly is like an could be a more negative trade-off, like oh, yeah. Like I guess well, so, similarly, that. how some people don't start out wanting new, but they look for existing, can't find what they want to become a new home purchasing or a new home buyer. Exactly. Start out wanting a townhome, and then they realize they just can't get all the shiny new things and ten-foot ceilings, whatever, in a home that they can afford that's single-family. Yeah. So then they become a townhome buyer. Yeah, Bruce. True story. True story. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> forever <laughs> my story time is about my our experience on clubhouse last night that's right yeah Dude, that was fun, fun. Unfortunately, was awesome. timing involved with the podcast most of you don't even know that probably that happened but we had uh, 49 people over the course of an hour and 25 or 15 minutes uh, hang out talking about wait lists and priority lists it was a great time i'm not really here to talk about that content because that was something very special for those people only they have special notes that have been deleted from the internet they you know it's it's like a story it's a snap <laughs> one little experiment and i just wanted to share my thoughts on the platform having spent more time oh, yeah. here mm-hmm. it still has a lot of growing to do and i think it's likely to end up going this the same direction as meerkat i don't know how many of you will remember Ooh. meerkat but i don't even remember meerkat no, and that's probably that's the intention of you saying that <laughs> yeah it was a great service it was the first like live streaming in fact, I think I wrote a blog post. Okay. I wrote a blog yeah. post that talked about using Meerkat or Periscope to do. I remember Periscope. Yeah, houses during bad weather weekends. If you lived in the Midwest or the Northeast and you had a foot of snow and traffic to the model would typically go down, why don't you do something on Meerkat or Periscope? Mm-hmm. Great platform, but it couldn't grow and change as fast as it needed to. And Periscope, being owned by Twitter, ultimately ended up being the last one standing. Still not really used as much as Facebook Live either. Clubhouse is great for what it can do, which is allow voice communication in small or medium-sized groups of people. But that's the only form of feedback that you can that you can give other people in the room is to raise your hand and share your voice, which not everyone's comfortable doing. So there's no other chat stream. There are no emojis. There's mm-hmm. no blind hearts. There's no rating scale of how is this conversation going and so it worked out fine for us because we had eight to ten people at any given time who are willing to share and talk and and but the majority of the audience of those 49 people were not interacting they were just listening and so as a builder or a marketer if you try set up a room like that and you've only got one or two people talking you're kind of having a conversation with yourself with very little feedback other than people leaving or staying as to how it's going. And so one of the things I did in preparation for this, because I know I tend to sometimes talk a little bit heavy. It's, I don't know. People call me a nerd. I take it, but it, I try to get into the wheat. <laughs> yeah. So but you have to, I wrote mm-hmm. a blog, I, think. I, I wrote a blog post and buried it two years ago to give people an outline of kind of the conversation so that they could follow along. And some people even reference like, Hey, I saw you're going to address this later on, but just in case you don't, here's my question. It seemed to help with the flow of things and it just needs some other chat or polling functionality. And because most people don't want to unmute themselves. They just want to want to lurk. Of course. Yeah, I agree. I felt that way. I'm like, cause I was on and then, but it wasn't like, 
everyone listening, like if it was planned, like it was Kevin playing this, there was no expectation, mm-hmm. at least in my mind, of any DYC person helping or assisting. I'm like, oh yeah, Kevin started the clubhouse. I'm going to open it up, which is super nice. A notif- notification, push notification feature is super nice. But I was like, all right, Addie's in bed, my youngest, and the two boys are still up. I'm about to get them. About to get in bed. I had Kevin going on. Like they're like, Dad. they're like, Dad, can you turn that down? Who's that talking about? <laughs> but like, it, it would be nice if there was some other way to interact with you, because it's almost like I was. If you close your eyes, I'm like, okay, I'm like in a builder show session, mm-hmm. and then there's like a panel going on, and that was kind you of. But then the audience had to like just kind of hang out, like if you didn't want to, or like if you're not capable. But I'm sure everyone who was listening, if they were like watching TV with someone else. Mm-hmm. They weren't ready to talk, but they would participate in polling or add a picture or like comment. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if there was like a stream of just it essentially be like Instagram live or Facebook live without video. Yeah. I um, mean, like, even if you add a chat box of some sort, at least you're paying attention to see like when you do answer that question, it kind of keeps everybody engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is essentially a live podcast format as well. Yes, which is cool. IBS presentation, podcast, what you will. And then there's nothing wrong about it. What I really enjoyed about it was using it as a way to crowdsource content. So here's a, a you know, 90% baked idea in terms of a blog layout was, was essentially my outline of the event. Mm-hmm. But I was able to get real, real world feedback and ideas and, and thoughts to, that will ultimately make the blog post that goes live uh, early next week way better. But it's, it's the asynchronous part that or the fact that you have to be there live. And I do think they'll yeah. have recording ability later. But then they again, should. if they record it, it's going to be just like any, a podcast. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just tough. I mean, we did it. I did it late at night thinking that people might just want to hang out and relax. And again, it went way longer. Still, I mean, 50 people came on. Like, that's like, I was, was like, like, look at all these people. Like, this is yeah. amazing. It was, late. it was like 1024, 10, 10, at night. Yeah, I mean, I shut it down because I was my family was like hanging out at the door. Like, are you gonna say goodbye to these people? Don't they have lives? What else is happening here? Right. So we, it, it, it's all great. Everyone's asking the same thing. That's funny. it's not the next Facebook. It's not even the next Twitter. It's way more likely to see a Twitter, a LinkedIn, a Facebook, someone else add that functionality in the next month or two. I'm sure mm-hmm. will happen way faster than they will grow that product. Because all night last night, I kept getting warnings like every. 30 seconds, the servers are overloaded. You know, I oh couldn't gosh. invite people up. They'd raise mm-hmm. their hand, accept it, be like, try again. Servers are overloaded. If, if you can't even keep the core functionality working, any, good luck adding chat and all the other things they need to add in. Screen sharing as well, you know. Oh, that'd be nice. Just yeah, so much more to be done there. But still, experiment with it. See what, see what you think. We'll probably do another one because it was fun just to, yeah. without, without the Builder Show being in person just to see names and hear people talk to each other. Ingrid's comment, this is kind of like a breakfast club in a way. It, it did have a little bit of that feeling. Yeah, it was, it was nice. It, it's almost what well, we could go live in the Facebook, but I think the non-video aspect is, is the only selling point for it. Right. Is that you could mm-hmm. just do it and you don't have to worry about where you are. Like you could, you could have been on your back patio if or it pressure. wasn't 10 degrees or whatever it was outside. But like if we go live on Facebook, Say in the market proof marketing group, like we have to be ready to be on video, uh-huh. which is work compared to just like, oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Let's just let's just go live and see who shows up. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Moving on to the news. Typewriter. There we go. 
important sound effect. We don't do that. Try. We talk about the news, so I got to make sure I put. And this was a hard one to find anything in print from, but from DWM Magazine. That's right, Door and Window Market. I know you guys are all very familiar. Well, fine. And this is part of what to talk about. There was the complete communication vacuum about what actually went down with IBS X. That's the virtual builder show event that that did it take place this week kind of took place this week no one knows um so thankfully the folks at dwm put something down in writing and we can add in the show notes here about and the headline is ibsx goes virtual but without a digital expo for now and essentially the expo hall which if you've been to the builder show you know that there's education which is a very small percentage of the overall space and where yeah. humans are and then there's the hall itself the hall never got off the ground never really worked opening ceremonies had to be postponed basically mm-hmm. for the entire first most of the entire first day that mike Rowe too which i think he spoke before because he's you know, has his foundation and is super involved in trades and pushing mm-hmm. that but i'm like oh that's even like that's awkward because he i mean nhb is insanely important and here's like it's it's I don't say too much because I don't know if it's listening, but like, I feel like, I'm like, oh, I would be embarrassed. Like, <laughs> right. Dude. I was, it was, I mean, <laughs> I, it was, what was cool to see is that the people who know how hard the folks at NHB work to put on the show, it was like the first reaction was, this is just kind of sad. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's a tremendous amount mm-hmm. of work. I'm sure they tested everything. I'm sure it like, who knows what happened oh, on the technical side, but like, yeah, I'm sure they, I read some people say tests. that it was just the volume of the people trying to access the tool brought it down. There's some other other theories went on, but eventually, what ended up happening is that the folks at IBS basically put out an announcement saying that everyone will be refunded. Exhibitors, folks who bought a ticket, you don't it's even crazy. have to ask. Is what it appeared like. You're just you're going to get a refund. They wow. actually did the super sales rally with about 20 minutes notice. So we tried to get the word out. If you're connected with us on social, they made that completely free and open to anyone, whether you had bought a ticket or not. Which uh, was awesome. Yeah. And and I honestly, I think that's what really should have happened. If it, if it would have been a digital expo experience and the education this year really should have been free. And I might get in trouble for saying this out loud, but I, I just, <laughs> this was the opportunity to create an Amazon-like experience where we don't have room size limitations we don't have to say, you know, you can't come in, wait in line, must purchase a ticket to attend. It could have been every session. And I'm not saying this because my sessions were not approved. I didn't submit a session this year because it was my year off. So this isn't Kevin being cranky about not talking. It's kind of worked out. Thankfully, I didn't have to participate in, in the technical issues that were involved here. It should have just been everything was approved. This was the chance to let people vote with their digital feet, so to speak, by clicking and rating and reviewing so much information could have been learned about the best type of education opportunities moving forward. And then they still maybe would have been able to pull off the expo. But I know I'm backseat driving here, but it was sad to see how it all went down. It was. Well, next year we'll definitely be in person. I'm, I'm yeah, pretty confident. Hope. Fingers crossed. The other marketing lesson here is just that there was almost no announcement made until around noon Eastern on what was going on on day one. And yeah. so at this point, like you go on their site and it's kind of like it, it talks about the fact that they have technical issues and there is a FAQ with some stuff, but it's just kind of a big void, uh, which I know it's still early, but yeah, 
to me, and, and this is not coming from a place of negativity, but, or anything like that, but it seems like this could have happened if this was last year and things just shut down and it was like, oh my goodness. But mm-hmm. I think a year later, it just feels different. Like, oh, like we're kind of used to all this virtual stuff going on yeah and then exactly. yes, it also proves yeah. though that virtual events are not easy they're mm. harder than in-person events oh, yeah and talking on camera yeah. i think is significantly harder than presenting on camera i think is harder than in person like on a stage just like we talked about with the club you can't read the best. yeah you can't read the room no yeah. i don't know and you're by yourself looking at this black square above your monitor like which I'm very comfortable with now after five and a half years. Yeah, with Mike. I used to it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard. Beginning. All right, moving on from AHREFs. 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 I call it AHREFs. I don't know. How often does Google rewrite meta descriptions anyway? A new data study, most recently updated at the end of October 2020. And this comes as many things do from a builder partner call or email, rather I should say, where they were not happy with how a a search result display came back. The headline Mm -hmm. is under your control by what you put on the site itself. But Mm -hmm. oftentimes the meta descriptions are automatically created by Google. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Almost never the same for anyone when they are. I mean, immediately what was interesting is and this, let's just use examples I, I can talk to. Let's say that I had a home building company that built new homes in Columbus, Ohio. And I also happen to build five homes in the Dayton area, which is near Columbus, is about 45 minutes away, but not Columbus. If you searched for my home building company and the meta description said new homes in Dayton, that was the kind of what is going on here moment that this builder was having. Gotcha. Provider. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely incorrect. It was not so, like, eh. yeah, it was definitely not, not accurate. However, you know, I did the search. It appeared different. Andrew did the search. It appeared different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the question is like, if that's wrong for you, how often is Google updating that anyway? And that's kind of what the 63% of the time or 62.78, they're changing it to match what they think will more closely match what the person is typing in. Which makes sense if you think about like if you type in something longer and they're able to extract content and piece together something from your site, then it would make that search result seem more relevant to what you're searching for. Yeah. And That's lots more description. Right, right. I, I know this is technical, so go, go read the article for some of this stuff, but 25% of top ranking pages don't even have a meta description, according to the article. I thought that was super shocking. And yeah, because... Is that why you think Andrew Google started out this, this down the road of like we can't we have to help people help themselves? That seems to be Google's take. Oh, that's weird because if you if you're like, what are the on-site SEO tactics to do? With like meta title, meta descriptions, kind of like the first two that always show up, like the on-site really easy thing. So that's interesting that twenty five percent don't have one. Other than if then you think about like, well, are twenty five percent of searches to some strange page on the website that isn't actually optimized and so then you're like okay i guess i could make sense that those pages aren't they're being found because people are typing in like longer tail or say like three four five Mm -hmm. word phrases and then it's pulling up that specific xyz um page on the site yeah but like you said 
almost 63% of the time, Google is rewriting the meta description that you have put in place depending on the description and web behavior of the person doing the actual search. Which is so crazy because I remember spending hours and hours updating meta descriptions and to know that 63% just gets rewritten anyways, it's just mind blowing. And that's the, it's, it falls in the category, it falls on the category of something you need to do on a, and keep up with, but also isn't going to change the world. I was, we were talking about someone else, uh, talking about someone else, a builder, not a person. Mm -hmm who had recently spent a lot of money on renderings and had used up a significant amount of their content budget. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't feel sorry for them though. And Mm -hmm. everyone was kind of like, huh? You're like, that's, that's content. Like they're invested. I'm like, yes, but looking at my watch, it's February 11th of 2021 and you didn't have good renderings before (laughs) now. You know, so there's just, it's, it falls in the category of cleaning your room, kind of a, like just Mm. the basic maintenance level. Oh, so I like that. Clean your room. All the SEO-related features and things to consider most of the time are not game-changing in and of themselves. They're yeah. just maintenance. And you can still do maintenance right and do maintenance wrong. It's true. You could clean your room wrong. That's yeah. right. I could shove it all under the bed. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on from geekwire.com. Zillow Group will pay $500 million to acquire home touring tech company Showing Time. And then uh, my own personal footnote is, and then realtors everywhere lost their collective minds for a <laughs> solid 48 hours. They did. I just, I, every time I read this, I think of the song Closing Time. And so I just like, I showing time. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, Closing Time, like that song. The CEO looks really happy in that picture. I know that picture is not from when they were acquired for 500 million. But <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Well, first off, <laughs> Zillow has had the cash because they've they've been very... Uh, astute at navigating the downturn and taking advantage of the opportunities. And so uh, their Q4 estimates were topped for as a public company and came in with $789 million in revenue. As the boom went on, of course, SNL did their skit. So now they're even more entrenched into the public psyche. But what is Showing Time? Showing Time has a network of nearly a million agents across North America and, and facilitated more than 50 million showings last year. Their software is used by 370 different multiple listing services. Hmm. So essentially, this is a way to schedule tours uh, online via the MLS, right? Just the back and forth of making sure that the scheduling and and taking place of tours happens, getting feedback on those showings when they occur. I thought it was interesting. It says that the company is planning to make it an open platform, which allows it open and available to anybody. So I'm curious how that's going to get applied to builders and their moving ready homes and inventory in the future. And I think you're you're saying both things at the same time that are key points here. One is they acquired a company called Dot Loop based out of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, a great Ohio Ohio town. Um, and they you can continue to use Dot Loop on its own. You, it's not something where you have to be a premier agent and you have to purchase another Zillow product in order to have access to it. So it's not going behind their wall. That's what they mean by keeping it available to all. But I think mm-hmm. your point is, your other point is is right on the money of why would Zillow want to have a better, more efficient way to schedule more showings? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're buying homes on their own that they have to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, have the, they saw what happened in the pandemic with uh, online scheduling and virtual touring. 
I don't believe at the current moment that showing time does virtual tour booking in any sense, but could it be from what I said? Absolutely. Could it be connected with uh, smart locks that Zillow puts on the doors of its homes that it purchases now? Yes, it could. It's not surprising, but the the agents that are losing their mind is there's you know this fear that Zillow is putting them out of business every day slowly and surely and mm-hmm. I mean eventually at some point you you have to imagine it's going to continue to eat at the overall profitability of each individual agent if they don't start making their own cool stuff and better ways of doing things. Yeah, I, I know here in Virginia, like it's required for you to have an agent to purchase a home unless you're buying from a builder who's an agent representative. So I think on that side, I see the benefits, but on the builder's side, I could see the cons from requiring the agent to access the move and ready home, which on the controversy, like majority of the time, we rather them walk in unrepresented to allow the yeah, builder rep to I be would, able to sell I, for them. I would not be shocked if that law or, or industry rule gets challenged as, as mm-hmm. part of the, of the lawsuit. Um, and those, those things do vary by state. So I'm not super familiar with, with, with how Virginia specifically does it, but yeah, I, I just think consumers in the near future are going to end up showing up at homes on their own more and more, or at builders homes more and more. We had Tom Nelson join the, uh, clubhouse event last night. And I asked him, I said, Hey, as we're running out of inventory homes, what's happening? My hope is that builders are moving those those boxes to their model homes and using it, on, which at first they were reluctant to do because of security, because of the financial risk of of losing furniture or whatever else in the home. And he said it is starting to go that way, especially since they've integrated with Alarm.com for, from the security side. But he also had some interesting stats that he shared, which was that even though the fewest number of U-Tour units are actually in use by builders since, I think he said, the middle of, of last year. The number of consumers using each one of those, so like the total number of tours being taken, has never been higher, even though fewer That's crazy. Uh, devices are out there mm-hmm. to allow those tours to happen. So it's, it's going to become more and more important, and I think... Uh, Zillow is pretty smart to to snap this one up and possibly also just doing it to keep CoStar from from purchasing it themselves. Uh, someone who's likely mm-hmm. a greater competitor for them. All right, two more to go here. Next up from housingwire.com, Matterport to go public via a special purpose acquisition company or SPAC in a $3 billion deal. Now, I didn't know they're worth that much money. Again, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, go to, the, go to the show notes, read the article yourself. I just want to have a discussion prompted off that headline of like, yes, Matterport, I do agree, has the best overall interface and experience for the consumer. 100%. And they just updated it where I believe it's a recent update where you're allowed to make measurements on it too, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was about eight or nine months ago that they, they started doing more of that functionality built in. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a question to me that, that they're the best. It's just, what does that mean? And is it perfect yet? Like, I feel like, one, the device itself, the camera, is not as important as consumer-grade cameras from multiple companies become available. So you can take it with other things and then upload it. But also, like, mm-hmm. the interface still isn't amazing. It's functional. And consumers maybe are learning it faster because it's more ubiquitous. It needs but, to be like a game. 
there's still a whole bunch mm-hmm. of people who look at a Matterport tour and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mm-hmm. don't know what to do. And I just, I just feel like 3D tours are becoming a commodity like renderings where, yes, there are some that are better than others, but the profit margin on renderings has to be going lower because I get hit up on LinkedIn probably once a week by a new rendering company. So that mm-hmm. helps me. <laughs> I'm curious to see where the future in Matterport goes um, and they, see how, like, how they elevate it of any sort. So they have uh, where to go. It's it's a quote in the article, but they want to make every building in every space more accessible. Yes. Okay. So, so more I think on the Matterport, the level. world, like yeah, okay. like well, I think yeah, it I could agree. Be the future of like Mount Rushmore is not like you're jumping six, ten, fifteen, whatever feet at a time, but you are navigating it as mm-hmm. though you are playing Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever game like. It, on your computer or on your phone. So I, like, I think that fluid, I think could be like the long-term. Yeah. Thing. I haven't looked into it. If it's even an add-on that they have currently available, but do they have it an add-on where you can furniture a room that might be empty? Like if the Matterport is showing an empty room, can yeah, is there an add-on? that service? I know rendering house, mm-hmm. I believe also offers that service. You can go back in and, and digitally alter things mm-hmm. taken. That's where I caught myself too was thinking, okay, but at the same point, pandemic, VR, mm-hmm. uh, ability to, to, to interact, it, is, is this set them up to become acquired by an Oculus, which is owned by Facebook or someone else as a, you know, that's what I was just trying to, how much value is in the tool and the product yeah. uploading it itself and how much is the interface? It's not that there's nothing there. And, and they do actually have smell-o-vision out there. Really? There, is, there is a product that, that you can attach <laughs> to your computer and that has, I think, eight or nine different scent banks that it can spray out to make you feel like you're in a forest or by oh my a goodness. or in a coffee shop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so is that, I mean, maybe Matterport becomes the holodeck of the future. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. just the beginning. But I was surprised to see that now's the time. Other than maybe this is also its peak value and they just wanted to cash out. Yeah. For sure. Some stock to the general public. and. Three billion. A lot of money. You want to come as his ad. All right. Wrapping up from searchengineland.com. Google officially displays the years in business in the local pack. I hmm. love this. Yeah. Like, I absolutely love this. This is awesome. I think this is an upgrade for sure. Um, it, it goes into the trust factor. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. oh, it's sure. one thing if you have like the screenshot here, uh, 36 Reviews averaging 4.7 stars, but when it's, you add that next to over 25 years in business, looks good. Yeah, that's awesome. Just another another piece that adds trust. Yeah. Question for you, Kevin: How would you do this with applying it to a builder community? So, for example, like Happy Acres built by Kevin Oakley. Like, would you go by the how long there. the builder how long the builder's been around or how long that community's been around? And like what is the ethical way of going yeah, around doing to do it? the builder as much the as builder. possible? Unless it's yeah. a master plan, perhaps, but I think the builder's the way to go. And that's that's generally speaking, when you get reviews, the more that you can put it under long long term, because once the once the community sure. is gone. You don't have any additional traction there. Good question. People are like, well, which one do I do it under? 
Yep. All right. No break necessary because we're almost done. Answers to last week's question of the week, which was, again, a clarification mm-hmm. uh, format. <laughs> what do you want to do? Um, so looks like everybody loves what we're doing. Yeah, I think well, there's there's two. We asked it twice. Two. <laughs> we have to combine the two and then interpret what I just saw. I have to call every person who voted and have a long conversation with them. No, I'm it good. It looks so. like the eyes have it. I don't see a downside to giving this a shot. Um, mm-hmm. Jackie Lipinski is going to take over production of the podcast. So I'm going to leave it up to her and, and she can experiment. But I, I do oh, like no. the idea of having guests have their own episode. It seems like uh, Sarah Titus, when she shared hers, she's like, hey, if you want to listen to me, just FYI, you got to start 40 minutes in. That does seem like, yeah, you know, why, why make people do that? So we'll, we'll uh, thank you for everyone's feedback. We will. Let's pick a winner right now. Let's pick a winner from this category because it's, it's Andrew's favorite. It is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Oh, we could pick Sarah. That's no. funny. Ah! Where's our random picker generator? Yeah, this is it. You scroll up and down. All right. Here we go. Kara Sharp. Congratulations. Amazon gift card coming your way. Boom. Awesome. 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 Yay. (laughs) I'm a vote too. That'll do it for this week for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more. Check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Bye.